Welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast produced by the National Collaborating Center for Aboriginal Health. This series focuses on innovative research and community-based initiatives promoting the health and well-being of First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples in Canada. In this episode, we hear from Drs. Lisa Richardson and Jason Pennington with the Office of Indigenous Medical Education at the University of Toronto. Their work to nurture a greater quantity and quality of Indigenous participation in their faculty has earned them the 2017 Dr. Thomas Dignan Indigenous Health Award from the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. What follows is an outline of the steps Indigenous students follow on this award-winning journey of medical education, from recruitment to curriculum to a safer and supportive learning environment. The example set by this pair of Indigenous physicians has more than lived up to that of the award's namesake. And as we'll hear, it's an approach grounded in and driven by the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Well, I think the uh, TRC's calls to action have been used as a a, uh, template for much of what we're trying to accomplish and uh, been used as a uh, justification to administration as to why we should be proceeding with many of the activities that have been proposed by the office. It's really giving us the leverage and and the uh, institutional buy-in to move forward with a lot of what we're doing. Two of the major recommendations by the TRC are uh, sections 23 and 24, and one is for the government to provide cultural competency training for all healthcare professionals. So that would include all of our faculty and our students. And uh, the second is to have a course in Aboriginal health issues, including history and the legacy of residential schools, the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, treaties and Aboriginal rights, Indigenous teachings and practices, as well as skills-based training in intercultural competency, conflict resolution, human rights, and anti-racism. So first of all, uh, increasing the number of Indigenous medical students starts way before even students are in university, right? We have to have uh, students that are making it to university and getting out of graduating high school and thinking about medicine at a much younger age if we're gonna uh, people have to have it on their radar as a career they actually want to do a lot of people in our communities might not even you know in um, middle upper middle class Canadian culture it's uh, quite an honor to go on and do medical school, but not in all of our communities might it to do Western medicine. Is it uh, possibly even a, a desire on their radar? So really to, you want people to be thinking about medicine and looking at it as a possibility from a much younger age. And that's why we also have a pathway reaching out to communities at a much younger age. And we have high school students who come for the summer mentorship program. The summer mentorship program for Black and Aboriginal students in the health sciences has been around for over 20 years now, but only since the office has been around for the last five years and with the help of the coordinator in the office, has participation by the Aboriginal Indigenous community really increased and uh, become much more involved in this program. We know that for 
Indigenous students to get into medical school is a big hurdle for, for many people. The, the journey traveled is a much longer one, not just physically, but certainly metaphorically. If you think about the social determinants of health and education status of many of our peoples being lower than, than that of um, non-Indigenous Canadians. So we've recognized that to, to recruit Indigenous students to our medical school where there previously were almost no Indigenous students, we needed to create a separate pathway. And what that pathway involves, and I would say it's still very much a work in progress, but what that pathway involves is supporting students through our office who may need guidance about um, their application, what's required, who should they get reference letters from, how do you write an essay for medical school, etc. And then in submitting the application, students are actually submitting to an Indigenous stream. Um, And that stream means that they do have to meet all of the high academic requirements. And I want to make that really clear because um, one of the things that we often hear is that this is a a lower tier and by no means is it. In in fact, I think that not only are we requiring academic excellence, but what our Indigenous stream does is, is look at how students are connected to community, and we have actual community members who are um, reviewing applications, sitting on the admissions, our admissions subcommittee, and actually saying, yeah, this person really feels like we want them in our medical school and we're going to be able to support them to um, become healthcare providers. I think what's important is recognizing that we don't just want academic physicians and admissions committees reviewing um, our students' files because community members, Indigenous community members, know who they want to be seen as as healthcare providers. And so really including not only Indigenous students, but other Indigenous academics and elders in the process of admissions, I think is really important. So that's around the selection. And and then prior to that, the idea of having support from our office for, for students who may not be certain if they're ready to apply or who is this letter that I'm getting from a community member um, talking about my work and, you know, the dental clinic on my reserve, is that going to be sufficient, et cetera. So providing the guidance in that area as well, I think is important. So to build a a strong curriculum in Indigenous health, Jason and I presented two different really important components that must run alongside one another to our faculty. And we suggested to them that we had to clearly have a stream and significant knowledge about Indigenous history the social determinants of Indigenous health, with the primary one being colonization and its ongoing effects and colonial practices, as well as a knowledge of some Indigenous conceptualizations of health, recognizing there's a huge diversity there, but recognizing that there's clearly a very strong history of Indigenous of medicine in our communities and how that's very different from a cultural perspective, from uh, ontologic perspective even, than biomedicine. And when I say ontologically, I mean the idea that when we think about health, 
from an Anishinaabe perspective anyway, we think about connection to not only mind, body, spirit, emotion, connection to land, connection to community, connection to our ancestors. And so that's very different from where biomedicine evolves from, which is here's your body, it, you know, here's an approach to thinking about medicine. It's disconnected from all, all of these other aspects of healing. So we recognize that that was an important stream as indigenous medicine and indigenous history. But what we also learned is that in order to bring indigenous knowledges and experiences and have community members speaking about their experiences into a colonized environment, which is the faculty of medicine and our institution, our higher academic institutions across the country, not just our own in, in, in Toronto. But in order to do that, we need to, to also be working to what I, what I call decolonize that space. So we needed to be teaching our students some basic principles around anti-oppression and equity, around thinking about where you've come from, what your privilege and biases are, and how those aspects of you as a practitioner and also the institution that you're working in play out right at the bedside or in the clinic when you're seeing an Indigenous patient. So how you may be acting, how you may be really overlooking this whole background and history of a First Nations Inuit or Métis patient based on the, the histories and practices that have happened in our country, but also how your own biases, which you may not even be aware of, are playing out at the bedside. So we proposed to institute a, a curriculum in this area that both of those streams had to be taught. And once you get students starting to think about themselves and what we call reflective practice and reflexivity, so how the power dimensions play out in relationships with patients too, it's much easier then to open up the space to start thinking about Indigenous medicines, Indigenous ideas around healthcare and the experiences of our Indigenous patients. We need to recruit and support Indigenous healthcare providers, but we recognize that there will be many non-Indigenous healthcare providers who are providing care for our peoples. And in thinking about that, we've recognized that not only do we need to support and recruit Indigenous physicians, but we need to ensure that all medical students, residents, and practicing physicians are culturally safe practitioners. So when we are implementing curriculum, we're thinking about how we support not only our Indigenous students, but how we train all of our healthcare providers to be able to provide good care. So when we're uh, forming curriculum around these topics, which include uh, conflict resolution, anti-racism, Indigenous history, including Residential Schools, Indian Act, and the United Nations uh, Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, these topics can be taught didactically or experientially. And uh, I think the only way to uh, get the students to have an aha moment and truly understand many of these uh, deeper concepts and skills we actually want them to graduate with is to have more of an experiential uh, learning so that these concepts become more real because there is a tendency in didactic lectures for the students to get a little complacent and say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I've heard about residential schools because they've seen something on TV before, or I understand the 60s scoop, but it's much more important for the students to, and learners to 
hear from people from the community, to hear panels, including elders and community members. And uh, we do have some scenarios where the patient is of an Indigenous background. Sometimes our students in their clinical skills course, uh, learning how to do history and physical exam, will have Indigenous standardized patients, actors portraying patients. Unfortunately, not enough of the actors are actually Indigenous themselves to uh, performing the part of the Indigenous standardized patient, but some are, and they are actually very uh, useful and helpful and have sat on panels for the whole class before. So Lisa put together a really, has worked with a, on a really good anti-oppression workshop and uh, has developed a uh, selective for fourth year students on Indigenous urban health where the students actually go into various uh, Indigenous agencies around, urban agencies around Toronto and uh, they might be attending a social, a beating class, or doing an actual health clinic. But uh, they do a self-reflective process and they interact with members of our community and they self-reflect. And most students in their self-reflection, some of which have been published, actually describe this to be quite a transformative experience. Unfortunately, all of these more experiential teaching methods do require training tutors and standardized patients involving various Indigenous agencies around Toronto. And with a med school class of 250, uh, it would be overwhelming for all of these resources. So not all of these things are available to all of the students yet. Can I just add to, I I was just thinking about another program that um, that's a non-didactic way to teach some of the content related to Indigenous health. And it's an elective um, at the Art Gallery of Ontario, taking students out of the clinical environment, out of the lecture hall. And we actually look at um, works by um, our Indigenous artists, Daphne Ojig, Bonnie Devine, Norval Morriso, Carl Beam, um, are some of the artists whose work we look at. And we bring along, if we can, an Indigenous artist or an elder. And it's really powerful for the students to actually look at a work by an Indigenous artist and think about what that experience of what what they're portraying and what they're seeing. And then to hear from a a community member, an Indigenous person who's interpreting. And a story that really illustrates this was looking at the Man Transforming into Thunderbird series of paintings by Norval Morisot. And the students looked at it and thought, you know, said it seems very unidimensional and very um, elemental and, you know, harder to see what's going on. And then uh, the uh, elder who was with us at the time uh, looked at the paintings and said, I see those circles as being portals into another world. I see the lines as representing the interconnectedness between humans and, and the animal and plant world. And for students to actually really recognize that they are coming from such a different perspective and to experience that firsthand by this activity of group looking was really very effective. So it's an example of like an exciting innovation that was a way to that we're looking at how to teach this content in in new and different ways because I absolutely agree with Jason the lecture hall is is certainly uh, not always the ideal place.
our uh, faculties of medicine across the country are still quite uh, colonized and uh, and all of us know indigenous students who have not completed uh, medical school trainings i know a young lady who was an excellent uh, student had multiple degrees got into medicine and one day she came up and gave me her stethoscope because uh, she could not meld with it culturally it just didn't sit with her beliefs and her way of doing things and uh, she decided that she would not continue on with medical school this was back in the 90s and still though our institutions are quite colonized and um, quite unsafe for a lot of students and not only indigenous students in some ways but uh, definitely we are making trying to make steps to rectify this and I think that uh, when you have a curriculum that fits more with your uh, worldview, it helps you to feel that you are part, that you want to deliver this healthcare to your patients, that you want to participate in this uh, type of uh, medicine and practice of medicine. Uh, when you see that there's an office, which we have tried to set up as a safe space for our learners, and that there's a coordinator that you can speak to at most times uh, during office hours, that uh, adds to a level of safety. When you have an elder in residence, Kat Krieger is our current elder, and he's uh, done some wonderful lunch and learns and is also available for speaking with our Indigenous students and our non-Indigenous students, which is really great. It takes uh, further steps even beyond this, though, and um, our student affairs counselors have all taken a cultural safety training. We'd also like to see one of those counselors to, uh, when they come to a new hire to hire an Indigenous counselor, but uh, um, on the uh, future wish list, I guess. Uh, also, we've made an agreement with uh, CAMH, which is the Centre for Addictions and Mental Health, to provide uh, rapid access to any of our students that might uh, come in need for these services. So uh, CAMH has uh, a program for helping Indigenous patients needing psychiatric assessments. So all of these things combined help you to provide a more safe uh, conditions for our students going through the programs. There's still uh, much to be done, but uh, these are good steps in the right direction. We know that not only do we need to be teaching cultural safety for our patients, but we need to be educating our faculty about creating culturally safe spaces for our Indigenous learners. So that means that students are seeing themselves reflected in Indigenous people, see themselves reflected in the curriculum, that they have access to cultural and traditional medical medicines if they want that, that they can participate in community activities, that they can do clinical electives in Indigenous communities, and that when they need advocacy because they feel that they've encountered uh, racism or unfair treatment based on being an Indigenous person, that they have people to turn to who can really advocate at the highest levels. So those are some of the things that we continue to work on, and I would say it's it's definitely a, uh, a journey that's always <laughs> evolving. Um, we also feel strongly about 
Indigenous students seeing themselves reflected amongst the teachers and physicians with whom they're working. So looking at hiring more Indigenous faculty, we are so fortunate that there have been three new Indigenous peoples who are now physicians on faculty in the last couple of years. Um, And they're in, in specialist training specialties. So that's exciting. So, um, and we're hoping to see more people moving into leadership positions within the faculty of medicine, because in doing that, you have change that can happen more readily at the, at the highest levels of our institution. But also we have our, um, our students who are able to, you know, see that, these moving on to not only careers in community, but careers in the academy and in in, um, medical schools and medical programs are also possible. I have a pretty exciting story about feeling like we're actually making some progress. In the last three days, I've actually been up touring some of our uh, communities in the far northeast in the Anishinaabe Aski Nation. I started by spending time at the hospital in Sioux Lookout, the First Nations Health Authority hospital there, and um, had the pleasure of meeting with Kathy, who runs their traditional programming. And she said, you know, we used to have to do a lot of training for our physicians who come up and and work here and do our, our residents who come and do electives here. And she said, we haven't had to do much training with the students from Northern Ontario School of Medicine because they have been getting a lot of that. But um, we used to really have to do a lot of training. And she she didn't know I was from Toronto because I was the group. And she said, especially from the students from Toronto. And then she said, but lately we haven't been having to do that so much. I don't know what they're doing down there. <laughs> and uh, my colleagues just turned to me and smiled. So uh, maybe that's an example of starting to have an impact on the actual practices of our of our students who are then going out and working in community. So that was quite exciting. On occasion, I've had uh, VPs from CCO come up. CCO is Cancer Care Ontario and say, you know, after one of our workshops and talks, say that thank you for helping me recognize what I didn't know I didn't know. So, you know, People aren't even aware of some of a lot of stuff around Indigenous health and around cultural safety. And it's really important to, for us to uh, have these aha moments. But when you see that actual people in areas of leadership, people who actually have power over making uh, political changes in our education and healthcare systems, so are starting to truly uh, get what we're trying, the changes we're trying to make, and that they aren't um, election talking points or check boxes for accreditation, uh, that they are uh, real and they're actually ways of just providing better health care for our Indigenous patients and all patients and for increasing participation of Indigenous people in health care in general. Dr. Tom Dignan is a huge leader and wonderful person. 
in the field of Indigenous health, and he's one of the earliest Indigenous physicians in Canada. I agree. Dr. Thomas Dignan is a larger-than-life personality within uh, Indigenous uh, medical education and medical mentoring. One of the founding physicians in the then-called Native Physicians Association in Canada. It's um, really remarkable the work he's done for family medicine and within the Royal College to promote participation of Indigenous physicians and for promoting Indigenous health in the curriculum. He is an incredibly powerful advocate in a passionate and articulate way and has, through all of his advocacy, has managed to open many doors for people to follow him. So to be receiving an award named after him is a tremendous honor. It is totally fitting that he be the namesake of this awards as he truly is one of the pioneering Indigenous physicians in Canada. It's actually hard to believe we are walking in his footsteps and very, very special. For more information on Drs. Lisa Richardson and Jason Pennington and the U of T Office of Indigenous Medical Education, or to hear more podcasts in this series, go to the Voices from the Field homepage. Find it on the website of the National Collaborating Centre of Aboriginal Health, nccah.ca. Music in this podcast provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Learn more at www.sessions.blue.